after we get home. Amen? Tonight, one of the most amazing prophetic passages as we uh, look at just verses 24 through 27 here in Daniel chapter 9. If you were with us on Sunday, the context of that message really was this, that as you look at your Bible and as we realize the power of the resurrection, your Bible, specifically the Old Testament, is absolutely chocked full of prophetic word that enables you to, with great and extreme confidence, turn to your Bible because it could have only been authored outside of space and outside of time and by someone who knows everything down to the very most minute details. And in this case, in this prophecy tonight, uh, more than 500 years in advance predicts the very day that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. And so as we dig into this passage tonight, it will also go on and tell us exactly what that final seven that final period of man's history, what the keys to it are, and how to discern when it will start, and to some degree uh, what the conditions will be. And as this prophecy unfolds, uh, we'll be able to tie it together with the things that Jesus said while he was here on this earth that he repeated to us, uh, through the Olivet Discourse contained in Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 21. And as I shared with you, this really is the key to unraveling revelation and to understanding it and to being able to look at it and go, wow, God told us in advance what was going to happen. There's only one place that can come from. It obviously is written by the hand of the Lord. And so tonight... Uh, Decoding Daniel's 77s. And if you would, let's pray. Father, tonight as we draw near to you, Lord, we're so grateful uh, for your word and just the strength that it gives us in our walks with you. And Lord, these words authored uh, through this, this great man, Daniel, but written by the Holy Spirit, inscribed in Daniel's heart, carried about by the angel Gabriel, Lord, delivered to us, protected for all those centuries, delivered into the hands of man so that we might know that these words came from you. And so, Lord, as we study, would you bless us? Would you anoint us? Would you cause our minds to receive and our hearts to be glad? We praise you. We ask that God, as so many in this fellowship, so many in this town are dependent upon that snow and just the resort for Snow Valley and God for the businesses in town that uh, are really kept afloat often by the traffic that comes through from the snow play and all those things. God, we just ask that uh, you'd hold that snow off until we get home and then that you just let it flow. Lord, we could use a good dump of snow. and We would consider that a blessing from you because your word declares that you hold the storehouses of snow. And so, God, we ask you to deliver that to us. We bless you. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 24 here in Daniel chapter 9, and I want to remind you where we got in our study last time. 
because God has and God continues to judge the nation Israel. And so as you look at the nation Israel, if God's word is true, then what you should see are the conditions that are described in these prophetic passages as they pertain to the nation Israel. So you expect to find the nation Israel scattered, you expect to find it oppressed, you expect to find it surrounded by your by their enemies, you expect it to not be a Christian nation yet, you expect it to largely be the rejecter of God, you expect it to be blessed because it is blessed of him, but at the same time cursed because they haven't received the Messiah. So we need to look at Israel in order to see, mm, is that true or is that not true? And in looking at Israel, you find that it's true. It's completely true. We will also see in this passage that there is a specific thing that's mentioned, an event that, that in the covenant that's made for Israel in that final week, there is going to be, in essence, a peace treaty that will be made. What is the focus right now in the world with regard to the nation Israel? It is attempting to bring a peace treaty to the nation Israel, to its Arab neighbors which surround it. That is what you see here. Basically what it's saying is the city would be destroyed, the sanctuary would be destroyed. If you go to Jerusalem today, you're going to find the city is destroyed and the sanctuary is destroyed. It does not exist. Those events have happened. And so then it goes on to say, after that, the end of it shall be a flood until the end of the war of desolations is determined. So there will be a time of some form of human history where Israel will be, in essence, surrounded by its enemies. It will be without a peace treaty with its surrounding neighbors. And there will be someone who will come at the end of that time, called the times of the Gentiles. They will formulate a peace treaty with Israel. And that destroyed city will once again be rebuilt and worship will be restored. I remind you, there is no temple. Jerusalem is still a destroyed city. It is still completely fractured. It is roughly half Jewish and half Arab. Uh, it is the most divided city on the planet Earth. It is also the most dangerous city. If you ever go there, you need to check your insurance policies very clearly because many of them have a stipulation in them, you cannot travel to the nation Israel. So, it is as it says in this passage right now today. God said in Isaiah 37 that Judah and Jerusalem would be spared from Assyria by God's intervention. He did that. We left off there last time. That is the final event before the Babylonians came and took Daniel and his three friends captive. We get to this passage of Scripture. We are about four years from the end of the 70 years of captivity. And so Daniel received this vision. And it says in verse 24, Seventy weeks are determined. And remember I told you that is a Hebrew word, heptad. It means, a, in essence, a week of years. It is a period of time that each one of these weeks would be uh, an entire seven-year period. So in totality, those 70 would equal 490 weeks. The temple's destroyed. Jerusalem's destroyed. In 586 B.C., Ezekiel says, 
It is a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit abominations, which they commit here. They basically turned their back on God. And so God said, if you want it, your temple will be destroyed until I'm done with the nation Israel and dealing with it and the world. And that is the place in human history that we currently occupy. Temple was raised, Titus destroyed it in 70 A.D., and then we pick up Daniel's story. So Persia comes along, Cyrus the Mede comes in, he is now taken over, uh, the Babylonian Empire, it's going to become the Medo-Persian Empire, and so this is where we are in human history. And so Daniel begins to receive this message from the angel Gabriel. And in that message it says that basically while he was confessing his sins and going through all of this grieving of heart and of soul, he cries out to the Lord, and this is the answer to Daniel's cry. This is how God is going to respond ultimately to the prayer of Daniel and give him an answer that comes directly from the Lord. It is these 70 weeks. And so there are three specific time periods here, and we'll look at them in a moment. There is a period of time that is seven sevens, and then 42 sevens, and a final seven for a total of 70 sevens. But it's very critical that you leave them divided up, because that is how we derive at when this starts and when it ends. So, Keep that in mind as we read this now. It says, and for your people. So who's it for? The Jewish people. Who are Daniel's people? It's not the Babylonians. It's not the Medes and the Persians. It's the Jewish people. It's the Israelites. And for your holy city, as I shared with you last time, there's only one city in all of your Bible that's ever been called the holy city, and that is the city of Jerusalem. So very specifically, the 70 weeks are determined for the Jewish people and for the city of Jerusalem. Very specific prophetic word. It's not for the church. It's not for all Christians. It's not for the body of Christ universal. It's been grafted into the vine. It is for none of those things. It is very specifically for Israel and for the holy city, Jerusalem. And how? And so we are given these things that is the reasoning from God that these, that this, this time period will accomplish, what it will do, and it says, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make a reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So seven things that are going to occur. And they are all in light of who? The Jewish people, and the city of Jerusalem. And that is where people often mess up. When you make this symbolic of the church, the whole thing completely falls apart. Because you see what it's saying. And the reason that you know that this is, this is pointed that direction is because what will come next? Very, very, very important to make an end of sins, to make a reconciliation for iniquity, which can only happen if you're found in Christ. Amen? Jewish people are not in Christ unless they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Knowing about Him does not save you. That's why I spent so much time talking about that on Sunday. You can know who Jesus is and still not be saved. To make a reconciliation for sin, you must receive and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's for the Jews, 
And because it pertains to Jerusalem, is that true yet? The answer is N-O, capital no. Hasn't happened. Because the Jewish people are not Christians. They are largely secular. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. So he tells us when this will start. So as we look at this, there must be somewhere a command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. We're going to find that there are actually a couple of them. But very specifically, one of them, and that's why you need to leave the seven sevens intact, takes exactly 49 years. And so he will now begin to open this up to us. From the command of the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah of the Prince. Pretty clear who that is. Only place in the Old Testament that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is called the Messiah. There shall be seven weeks. Notice the differentiations here. Seven weeks and 62 weeks. So they are combined to make 69 weeks. Amen? You get that? But there's two periods of time. One is seven weeks of seven years, and the other is the the 62 weeks of seven years. And then it says something very important. And the street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. So it's very specific that there will be a period first of the rebuilding of the holy city of Jerusalem that will be seven years, seven weeks of years long, or 49 years, and that it will be in trouble sometimes. And after the 62 weeks, again, very clear that this also includes the seven weeks. They are just simply a separate issue from this prophetic view. The seven weeks and the 62 weeks now total 69 weeks. Okay? Everybody got that? until the Messiah shall be cut off. So what is said here is that there will be a period of time of seven weeks of years, followed by 62 weeks of years, which will make a grand total of 483 years that will transpire until the Messiah shall be cut off. And obviously that means that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, would enter Jerusalem. So this is predicting the exact date that Jesus himself would come into Jerusalem to be announced to the world as cut off. And so we're going to look at the math here in just a little bit. And so it says, but not for himself. Jesus wasn't cut off for himself, was he? He was cut off for you. He was cut off for me. He was cut off for anyone who would believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not punished because he was sinful. He was punished because he took our sins upon him on the cross of Christ. And the people of the prince who is to come. I love the fact that it says that. Because the people of the prince who is to come are people who to this day do not know the Lord. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, this verse in and of itself completely denies that God doesn't want to save everybody. In a strict Calvinist view, there are 
two groups of people. There are the saved and the damned. And if you are in one, you are not in the other. And there is nothing you can do about it. This verse is one of those verses that very clearly indicates that that's not all done ahead of time. Notice what it says. And the people, because he's going to be cut off for, not for himself, and the people of the prince who is to come. And he shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war of desolations are determined. And then he, and this he, notice in your Bibles, is not capitalized because it's not speaking of the Messiah. It's speaking of the he that you all have already met. That is the little horn. That is the stern-faced king. That is the Antichrist. He will confirm a covenant. He will come out of that group of people that is that is of the prince who is to come uh, with many for one week. And so, again, it's a week of years. So it says that there will come a point in time that the start of the final seven will be because of a covenant that is drawn with many, which will include the nation Israel, for one week. But in the middle of that week, so three and a half years into it, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and the offering. And obviously the sacrifice and the offering means that there is a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, which is exactly what Ezekiel said would happen. So there now is a covenant that is made with the nation Israel and with the nations around it that allows Israel to worship in the rebuilt temple, which is in Jerusalem, which, by the way, is not there yet. So this is still yet future. It cannot have happened yet. He'll bring an end to the sacrifice, to the the offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. And that's where this all ties into the book of Revelation. Because we know that that final seven-year period is described in great detail in your Bibles from Revelation chapter 6 to chapter 19. It's known as the Tribulation. And so those dates and times are etched in stone from God's perspective. Even until the consummation of that which is determined, it is poured out and to be made desolate. And so, as we begin to unwind this tonight, you basically have a prophetic clock. There are seven things that are going to happen. They're to finish the transgression, to make an end to sins, to make a reconciliation for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy so no more prophetic things will happen after this period of time. This last seven-year period of history in what are known as the times of the Gentiles, specifically the time of Jacob's trouble, when it draws to an end, God will be done with mankind prophetically because it will culminate with the return of the Lord. And so everything that we have after that, there is no more prophetic indicator in the Word of God. Prophecy will be done and to anoint the most holy. In other words, there will be another temple. We know that as Ezekiel's final millennial temple, which will again stand on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and it will be again holy unto the Lord. And in fact, your Bible says that on the throne of David and in the sanctuary, the Messiah himself will serve. 
And so we begin to unwrap this. There are actually uh, several eras of 70 weeks that have been determined in Israel's history uh, from the time that they entered into Canaan. In other words, when Joshua and Caleb finally came across the river and they enter into the land of Canaan after the wilderness wandering, after Moses has refused to be able to enter in, in about 1585 B.C., uh, that kingdom that started then until the time of Saul was 490 years. The next one that occurs is from the kingdom that is established under Saul because the people cry out, we want a king, God gives them a king. And so you have the period of the kings. That was also 492 years until the time of servitude when they're taken into captivity into Babylon. That's also 490 years. But the keys in this passage are very clear. It's going to happen after that, and it's going to result in seven very specific things which did not happen in either of those two periods of time. The final one begins with the restoration of the city of Jerusalem that is mentioned in the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to look at that passage here in just a moment. Now, there's a book that was written uh, quite some time ago by Sir Robert Anderson. It's called The Coming Prince. He was actually... Uh, an investigator for Scotland Yard, and he unwrapped a lot of these things. And some of the things he wrote in that book were quite good, some of it not quite so good, because uh, in, in, he draws some conclusions that were based rather than on the Gregorian calendar, the solar calendar, and so you come up with the wrong dates. And I'm not going to belabor those with you tonight, but I'll just talk to you about the correct view. Gabriel's prediction here concerning the 70 weeks would begin, I believe, with that decree that was put forth by King Artaxerxes in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1. It was done in a very specific time, March 446, 444, excuse me, BC. He makes a decree to go and rebuild Jerusalem. The rebuilding that took place under the returned exiles under Nehemiah took exactly 49 years. One period of seven weeks of years. And so that is recorded for you in your Bible, by the way, so you know exactly when it happened, the date that it occurred. So you have seven sevens, 62 sevens, for a total period uh, of 483 years until the coming of the Messiah, the Prince, to be cut off. As the Jews reckoned time, they began with the first of the month. And so if you use the Gregorian calendar, which only has 360 days, not 365, if you take 69 sevens times seven, you come up with 300 and times 360, you're going to come up to 173,880 days. That is exactly when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Uh, he came into Jerusalem on uh, the, the Monday, which would have been March 30th, A.D. 33, for his triumphal entry in which he was announced the king of the Jews to the Jewish people. And so this prophetic view takes Artaxerxes' announcement to go and rebuild the city, which takes the first period of seven. It is done in that period of time. Then the intervening period of time, which would have been 434 years, exactly 434 years later, Jesus comes into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. That leaves us with exactly one seven-year period. 
and we know what's supposed to happen during that seven-year period. The clock starts from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So you have seven weeks, seven times seven is 49, 62 weeks, seven times 62, 434, total of 69 weeks. So it should have been 483 years later total, and that is exactly when Jesus came into Jerusalem. So your Bible predicted that in advance by over 500 years. When you begin to look at what Jesus said, it becomes very clear what he was talking about. There have been multiple predictions uh, given for this particular event, and the reason that none of them are valid are the words of Jesus himself. Why do I believe that it was Artaxerxes as opposed to Cyrus's declaration to go and rebuild Jerusalem? Because Jesus himself, Luke 19, verse 41, said, If you, even you, had only known on this day, Why do you suppose he would say that? Because the Jews should have known what was going on when Jesus came into Jerusalem. What would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The the Jews still have the peace of Christ hidden from their eyes. Jesus said that would be the case. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls, and they will not leave one stone on top of another because you did not recognize this day. They should have been able to recognize the day, and they didn't. And so the Lord himself says, Titus is coming. A.D. 70, the temple's destroyed. It remains destroyed. Jesus was declared king as he he rode into Jerusalem, and they could not get it because they did not have a view of the prophetic word of God. When you look at Daniel's timeline, it becomes very clear that there's a seven-year gap that is still missing. I want to remind you that's not the only place in Scripture that we find a gap in what God has said to us. Early the next day, as Jesus was declared, uh, they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed, they said, is the king of Israel. You can find that in John chapter 12, verse 13. So Jesus is declared king. The very next day, Jesus curses the fig tree, symbolic of Israel. He says, this tree's not going to bear any figs. It's got leaves, but it's not going to produce any fruit. He goes on, he makes his way to the temple. That's where he drove out the merchandisers. And what he says comes directly from the book of Jeremiah, quoting from chapter 7. He says there, it is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Very abruptly, Jesus stopped in the middle of that prophetic word from Jeremiah. The reason he does that is because if he had read the rest of it, it would have seemed like it was going to happen next week. He goes on to say, and what he did not say there, and finish that passage, he says, But I've been watching, declares the Lord. Go now to the place in Shiloh where I first made the dwelling for my name, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people. It says there, while you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called to you, but you did not answer. And therefore, what I did to Shiloh, I will now do to the house that bears my name. 
the temple you trust in, the place I gave you, and all your fathers, I will thrust you from my presence just as I did your brothers in the time of Ephraim. And so he tells them, in essence, by not talking about that part, hey, go check it out. You made my house a den of thieves. Here's what's coming your way. You're going to be cast out. And they have been cast out. And in fact, remained cast out of the land of Israel and are in conflict in it today. So the destruction of that dwelling place. On the evening of the day following his triumphal entry, he goes on out to the Mount of Olives, a passage that should be familiar to all of you. And he begins to talk about this final time in earth's history that has to do with the nation Israel. Because that time is the time when he is going to finally judge the world for what they've done to the Jewish people and to the land that is Israel. And if God was ever ready to bring judgment upon the world right now, it's now. I can't think of another time in human history that's ever matched this particular time. He would be cut off. So now he's just two days from being crucified. And it says there in Luke 21, verses 20 to 24, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Um, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you'll know that its desolation is near. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by its armies, you'll know that desolation is... What is Jerusalem? Right now, there's only about 60 miles left of the nation of Israel before the Gaza Strip. Israel has been pared down to where it's not even defensible anymore. It's completely surrounded by its enemies. It actually has been that way since 1972. It says, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those in the city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city. For this is, notice this, the time of punishment in the fulfillment of all that has been written. In other words, Jesus says, I already told you through the prophetic word of God what is going to happen at this time. Bring an end to the transgressions, anoint the holy place, bring an end to prophecy, deal with the nation Israel and the nations that have surrounded it and cursed it for all of these generations. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be distress in the land and wrath against this people. They'll fall by the sword, be taken as prisoners to all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled on, notice this, trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. In other words, the Gentile nations of the world will have their time in Israel's history where God will actually allow them to trample Israel and to trample the holy city. I would suggest to you that we're drawing near to the end of the fulfillment of the times of the Gentiles. How much longer God's going to allow it to be stomped on, trampled on, bombed, mosques built on his holy site of the temple, which was supposed to be holy unto his name, I don't know, but I'm guessing we're a whole lot closer than we were last week. And at that point in time, Jesus becomes cut off. Before his crucifixion, which would be on Friday, uh, the 14th of the month of Nisan, here, here Jesus is speaking all of these things to the nation Israel. And basically, we go back to our passage now in verse 26, and it says, After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and have nothing. It, it literally denotes, the word that's used there in Hebrew is karath. It means to be 
killed and taken away. It's a violent kind of death that also includes separation. I would say to you there's never been a more violent death and separation than the death of Jesus Christ. And then he was taken away and put in a tomb. And so what your Bible says in the book of Daniel is that after that period of time, which nailed the time exactly of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, that there would be a violent death that results in separation. I'm kind of thinking that's pretty specific. So Jesus is cut off. By the way, uh, that's exactly the same word that's used for made in the covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. It says there in verse 18 of Genesis 15, on that day the Lord made or cut off a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants I give the land and the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. He said he defined where the land that God gave to the, the Jewish people is. I would say to you that that's a little shy of where they are right now. So from God's perspective, God gave them the land to be stewards and overseers of, and the world has taken it away from them. And they continue to take it away from them. And that is a very bad thing because God's on Israel's side. People freak out. Oh, well, you know, you must be a Zionist. No, I'm a realist about what my Bible says. I believe it. I have no reason to disbelieve it. What followed Christ's death? All but a remnant of the Jewish people were dispersed to the rest of the world. Amen? They did not go back into the land until March 14, 1945. So for almost 2,000 years, they were kicked out of the land of Israel. They did not dwell there. They were murdered by the hundreds of thousands and millions And what happened, in essence, was the Romans made good on Jesus' word. Jesus said that the whole place would be trampled and destroyed and would not have a holy dwelling place for the Lord until the times of the Gentiles are finished. And that is exactly where we find ourselves today. It's completely under the control of pretty much everybody but the Jewish people and certainly not of the Lord. And I would say to you that What will happen next is we're going to find some world ruler who's going to come on the scene, who will come out of what will be the revived Roman Empire, who will raise up, and he's going to solve this whole problem. And that is exactly what the world is looking for right now. That's what the UN is trying to force Israel to do. They're trying to force the Jewish people to make a covenant right now with all of their neighbors to bring peace. And they've traded land, they've traded sovereignty, they've traded their rights, they have given away virtually everything to the point that they are no longer even a defensible nation, and yet it's still not bringing peace. Gee, I wonder why that is. Because your Bible says it's going to stay that way until the times of the Gentiles is finished. And right now we still live in the age of grace, the times of the Gentiles. And I believe that that, at the middle of that seven, what's going to happen is this. You're going to see, perhaps, before the Lord takes us out of here, maybe just after the Lord takes us out of here, that time is not clearly given in Scripture, that there will be an actual Mideast peace accord. And it's going to stick. But it's going to stick for a very specific period of time. Three and a half years. It'll last about the full length of one United States president's term in office. 
going to be interesting to see what happens in the next six months. Don't know. But I know what he's trying to get Israel to do. He's trying to get them to forfeit their sovereignty. The only way they're going to do that, the only way that the Jewish people would ever give in to that is if they're allowed to rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount. It's the only way that they would enter into that, enter into that agreement. So, keep your eyes on Israel. We'll talk more about this on our New Year's prophecy update. So Israel enters into that. Why is that important in world history right now? Because you have multiple groups that are trying to make the case that Israel is the problem. Is there anybody in this room that, that is actually awake that believes Israel is the problem? You have Hamas, Hezbollah, the Muslim Brotherhood. You have all of the Arab nations gathered around it. You have the proxy for all of those groups, which is the Iranian government, all funneling arms and cash and everything else into the battle against Israel, and yet they still exist. Go figure. Because God says once they return to the land and they are once again speaking a single language that they will not ever be forced out of that land until this is all done. So that coming prince will rise up on the scene, part of that old Roman order. And he will make notice the covenant with many, not just Israel, with many. That means he will be a world leader, not just a Jewish leader. He won't just be an Arab leader. He is going to be a world leader. He is going to have a global outlook, and he will begin to, to make this whole thing come about by starting a peace treaty. And so the first three and a half years, when people ask you, why do you say that the first three and a half years of the tribulation is going to be a time of peace? Because the book of Daniel tells you so. There will be a covenant, and in fact, because we know what the negative end of it will be, that he will stop the sacrifices and stop the worship in the temple, that at the beginning, the reason that they enter into it is because they're allowed to worship and, to, and again, to be inside the temple itself. And, of course, that temple has to exist for that to, ha- for that to happen. So you have the suffering servant, you have the conquering king. That's the profile of the Messiah. Have we ever seen Jesus as the conquering king yet? The answer is no. He hasn't ever appeared as the Lion of the tribe of Judah yet. So we know that there's a large part of Scripture, Isaiah 9, parts of Daniel, that all tell us that one time Jesus is going to return to this earth as the rightful deed holder to the earth. The book of Revelation says that. All we've seen is the suffering servant. So we know that someday in the future, the culmination of that final week is going to result in the conquering king coming back. And of course, we know what that period of time is. That's none other than the second coming of Christ. So the temple's been destroyed. It no longer sits there. And notice it says that it will. Uh, Israel's been dis- dispersed. It happens in verse 26. The people, the prince to come, they're going to be dispersed to the entire world, which absolutely has already happened. The covenant promises of the Lord, do they ever disappear? The answer is no. So if the Lord's made promises like this one in Deuteronomy 28, verse 64 and 65, and then the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other. So he already told them that was going to happen. Amen? God told the Jewish people, you don't do what I say, I'm going to scatter you to the four corners of the globe. 
and there you shall serve other gods. Neither you nor your fathers have known wood and stone, and among those nations you shall find no rest, nor for the sole of your foot to have a resting place, but the Lord will give you a trembling heart and failing eyes and anguish of soul. So God says in one of his covenant promises to the Jewish people, you're going to get scattered. What happens? Roman destruction, dispersion of Jewish people. 80, 70, almost a million Jews are killed. Another roughly 150,000 probably sold into slavery. 132 AD, Emperor Hadrian is still carrying out the slaughter of the Jewish people. He kills another 580,000 of them. Josephus, writing in the Wars of the Jews, uh, Flavius Josephus records these things with meticulous detail. We know these things historically happen. They are dispersed. They remain dispersed. Basically, Rome kind of disappears. It becomes Byzantium. And it's this larger-than-life place in the world that's colored here in pink on this map. And so it includes almost all of the Middle East. It includes all of Lebanon, almost all of Turkey, certainly all of Greece and Rome and parts of North Africa and parts of Spain. It covers a vast majority and surrounds almost the entire Mediterranean Sea. But they're Christians. They're not Jews. The Jewish people still haven't seen these promises of the Lord. That empire is finally defeated by Islam. And so Islam comes into existence in 610 A.D. Muhammad and the caliphs battle the pagans and the Christians in massive jihad. Uh, For those of you that know your history books, you've probably seen the last crusade or one of those. Those all happened in roughly 1100 A.D. The British decide that they're going to take back Jerusalem because it has been overrun by the Islamists and they have built a mosque on top of the Temple Mount. We can't have that. And so they launched the Crusades. Ultimately, under Sahaladin, even the British are kicked out. And were it not for his magnanimous gesture to allow them to go to the city of Acre, he could have wiped out basically all of the British forces that had come uh, under the final Crusade. And so the Dome of the Rock Mosque is built on the Temple Mount in 685. Uh, Guess what? It's still there. And so from a world's perspective, Jerusalem still trampled under the foot of the Gentiles. Amen? Still not part of anything having to do with the Jews. Matthew 24 tells us that there will be wars. Interestingly, rumors of wars. What's going on in our world right now? Oh, war could break out in here. War could break out in North Korea. North Korea launched another long-range missile today. Actually, yesterday. We don't know what's happening. We just know it's a really dangerous place. Amen? Every year, millions of people die in Africa. The Sudan, somewhere between 150,000 and 300,000 people die every single year. Death upon death. Wars, rumors of wars, desolation. Basically, Gabriel's prediction says that this time that's going to be this last seven is going to be for the purpose of dealing with the Jewish people, and it's going to be extremely violent. Kind of looks like our world today. Jesus, speaking in John chapter 5, says, I've come in my Father's name, but you do not accept me, speaking to the Jews. Someone else comes in his own name, and you accept him. The Jewish people are absolutely 
the most accepting group of people on earth. They are the most liberal people on earth with the exception of Jesus Christ. Anybody else, it's all good. That's why when you think about our political views that we have here in this country, and you look at the populations like Florida, where there's a tremendous Jewish population, it's inconceivable that they would vote for somebody like our current president. It's inconceivable. He is one of the, if not the, he is one of the most anti-Jewish presidents we have ever had, and yet the Jews voted for him in huge numbers over Mitt Romney. They're accepting of everything except someone who professes an allegiance to what God's word says about the nation Israel. So there's a parenthesis, there's a gap, and it continues to this day. So there's one final seven. There have been 69. There's one left. Jesus, as he was speaking in Luke chapter 4, Speaking to a Jewish audience, he begins to quote from Luke chapter 61, and he very abruptly stops in the middle of a sentence. And it says there, quoting from Luke 61, verses 1 and 2, Jesus reading from the scroll, he actually finished, it tells us that he rolled it up, he stopped right in the middle, rolled it up, and handed it back. What he said to them is, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What he didn't say to them was what follows that, which is the day of vengeance of our God. The reason he stopped is that parentheses is still there. That comma is still there. He says, it's fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles have begun. The city is destroyed. Jerusalem's in waste. There is no temple. That's all happened. It started. But what hasn't happened yet? So he rolls the scroll up, hands it back to the scribe and says, "Um, you can figure out what's coming next. The day of vengeance of our God. Hasn't happened yet. There's another one also probably familiar to you in Isaiah 9-6. You all know the passage. For unto us a child is born and a son is given and the government of his, uh, or the government will be upon his shoulders. Is the government of the world on the shoulders of Jesus right now? The answer is N-O. But the first two things have happened. For unto us a child is born. That would have been Christmas Day, Amen. For unto us a son is given. That would have been Good Friday. Amen? But what hasn't happened yet? The government is not on his shoulders yet. That also points to Daniel's prophecy. Hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting for the government of our great God and King to come. That will happen after the seventh period of seven weeks of years. No wonder the Apostle Peter I wrote concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke the grace that has come to you searched intently with greatest care, trying to find the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ was pointing them, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow there in First Peter chapter 1. He says, that's why we're looking at these things. We're going, man, this hasn't happened yet. There's all these things that are left undone. And so the time marker is given to us, and that's a covenant with the nation Israel. If you're around... We haven't been raptured yet, and you find out there's a peace deal that's been brokered in Israel, keep your bags packed by your front door for heaven. Because your Bible says that the very next thing that's going to happen in human history is the rise of the Antichrist, if he's not already on the scene. 
So it could be that, that that is brokered and then he reveals himself. It could be he reveals himself. We're not told exactly when we exit stage left. There are some people that dogmatically say, well, everybody will be gone. I don't believe your Bible tells us that. I believe that before it all gets going very far, we'll be out of here. But we may see the rise of the Antichrist. It's possible. We could see, we could see maybe even the, uh, a period of time where the Antichrist is actually visible. We don't know. But if there's a peace deal in Israel, and it involves all the nations that surround Israel, you are really close to going home to be with Jesus. Amen? Isaiah predicts something for us in Isaiah chapter 28. And it says there in verse 16, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And the one who trusts will never be dismayed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hail will sweep over your refuge. The lie, the water will overflow you in the hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with the grave will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, you will be beaten down by it. It seems to indicate that Christ is going to be that tested stone and crucified. The desolations will come upon Israel. And the arrival of that covenant of death kind of leaps all the way into the distant future. And all of a sudden, that's not in place anymore. That would be to establish eternal life. Amen? That's exactly what Daniel said. So Isaiah, Daniel, Jesus himself, all speaking of this period of time that is still, from our perspective, yet future. The time of Jacob's trouble, I do not believe, has has occurred. All millennialists would disagree. They say it's never going to occur, but I believe that it is a very specific time that's going to involve uh, this covenant with Israel. In Matthew chapter 24, uh, the temple uh, there that's, that's mentioned uh, says it's actually going to be trampled. But basically what it's saying is, is that it will be an abomination. And surely if the Antichrist rises, allows the Jewish people to worship back in the temple in Jerusalem, and then he stops it, it's going to be an abomination again, which has happened once before, which I shared with you. And so all of these things lead to us looking at the world going, Okay, we were told when Jesus would come into Jerusalem. We would told we were told the Messiah would be cut off. We were told what would happen uh, to the Jewish people. The Allies defeat the Turks, the Ottoman Empire. Uh, basically, Jerusalem is actually there are some Jews that are allowed to go back in for the first time since the Crusades. Uh, England England fails to honor the Balfour Agreement, and all of a sudden, uh, World War Two, World War One occur, and there is no Jewish state. Uh, after that happens, God's eternal covenant says this: Thus says the Lord in Jeremiah chapter thirty-one, which gives sun for the light by day, ordinance for the moon and the stars, and light by night, which divides the sea when the waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. In other words, God says the only time the nation Israel is going to cease being a nation is when the stars stop shining and when the seas stop roaring and when there is no more light. In other words, it ain't going to happen, period. God has his hand on the nation Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 4 and 5, it says, Many of you are driven out into the uttermost parts of heaven. From there the Lord will gather you, and there I will fetch you. And the Lord 
that God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he will do good with you there and multiply you above your fathers. Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 37, For thus says the Lord in verse 21, Surely I will make the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. That has already happened. They're back in the land. So the next thing we're looking for is for a globalist to come on the scene who arises out of the revived Roman Empire, which will likely be the EU, possibly the UN itself combined with the EU. We don't know for sure. But it will be a globalist organization. And God says, I've made a covenant. I've gathered people back. And you aren't going to cease becoming a nation. Why do we even care? Because when Israel was created in May 15th of 1948, the next Day, five Arab nations invaded Israel. The next day. It exists for one day. The next day it's invaded by five Arab armies. Who, by the way, did not win. Were soundly defeated. Israel actually expands its borders, its territories, and takes Jerusalem as they fight off that invasion. Uh, in essence, the 1967 war gives Israel command of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount. They could have kept it, and in some bizarre, weird understanding of what he thought he should do, Moshe Dayan gives back the Temple Mount to the Arabs to try and keep peace. And so we sit today with their no temple on the Temple Mount, and the Jews don't even have control of it. Prince is going to come. It's going to be out of that old Roman Empire. So the old Roman Empire, if you if you look at this map, that circle of stars, that is roughly the extent of the Roman Empire. It included almost all of Great Britain, all the way into Scotland, all the way up into Finland and Norway, all of Europe, basically, as we know it today, um, all the way over into Turkey. It even included most of the stands, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan. And so... There's going to be somebody who's going to rise up that comes out of that nation. The people of the French shall come, and they're going to destroy the city and the sanctuary. And so that prince, that kingdom, will at some point in time pop up on the scene. Daniel, Job, Isaiah clearly saw their own sinfulness and their own part in all of this. That's why they all said, we have sinned. My sin is before me. Woe is me. Isaiah said, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips amongst a people of unclean lips. One thing left to happen. A peace agreement with Israel. Look for it. Pray for it. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Because if it happens in your lifetime, you're about that close to going home to be seeing Jesus. Amen? So there, amen. <laughs> there is one, one seven-year period left in God's prophetic clock, which has not started yet. That will be the trigger of it, and that clock could start ticking in the morning news. Amen. When all that happens, that covenant's going to be made with many. It's going to be for that one seven-year agreement regarding the Jewish temple. It's going to be broken in the middle of it. It's going to be made desolate again. 
says regarding the Antichrist in Second Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4, It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe and tongue and nation. All the earth will dwell and worship him. And those whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain before the foundations of the world. So when that covenant gets made, it's also going to get broken. The good news is, next things that happen are all really good for us, because we're home for Jesus. Once we go sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we'll be coming back with our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords. Uh, the Jewish people would, will then fulfill Isaiah 52 and Zechariah chapter 12. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy the nations that have come against Jerusalem. So when you talk about being on anybody's side but the Jewish people's side, you're dumb as a sack of rocks if you're a Christian. That, that's voting against what you already know is a bad, is a bad deal, okay? And I will pour on the house of David and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace. Notice what Zechariah said, the spirit of grace. What's the spirit of grace? It's salvation by grace in Christ. Amen? That's going to be poured out on the nation of Israel. The supplication, and then they will look upon me. Whom, can you imagine the Jewish people reading the prophecy of Zechariah not getting it when Jesus was nailed to Calvary's cross? They'll look upon me whom they pierce. When Jesus comes back, he's still going to have the scars in his hands. Still going to have the scars in his feet. Still going to have the scar in his side where he's thrust through with a spear. He's going to go, it's me. They're going to get it. They're going to see it. And when he does, Revelation 19, And now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like the flame of fire, his head were like many crowns, and he had written on them a name that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called uh, the Word of God. We know that name, don't we? It's exactly how the Gospel of John opens up. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine white linen, clean, followed him on white horses. So if you're a horse lover, look for a peace treaty with Israel followed by that peace treaty getting broken, being at a very large banquet in heaven, and then coming back on a white horse with Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your prophetic clock, for your calendar that uh, gives us this glimpse of the future. And Lord, we truly believe uh, that you have your hand on the nation Israel, that you are going to spare them ultimately, but there's going to be a time of trouble. And God, there will be a world ruler who will rise up, may well be alive right now. And God, we pray uh, that as we have opportunity that we'd preach the gospel with all that's within us, that people would know what it means to know you and to be saved. And God, we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We ask that you would shield uh, the Jewish people, that you would bless our nation for protecting them. God, we ask that we would not sway from that calling upon our lives, Lord, as, as the protector of your people. Uh, we pray for our president. We ask that you'd change his heart and his mind, that you'd soften him uh, towards the cause of the Jewish people, that you'd cause uh, us to stand strong in might, Lord, to protect them. And we ask that you would be, Lord, in the midst of all of these things that are going on in the Middle East right now. Lord, this uh, impending fiscal cliff is nothing compared to the return of Jesus. Lord, if man has all things, it's, it, your word declares what profit it 
if we were to gain the entire world and yet lose our soul. And so, God, we ask that you would use us to spread the good news of the gospel. Those that believe can be saved. Save the nation Israel and be with those who will be engaged against them, Lord. Cause them to see uh, the fallacy of their ways. We bless you. We thank you for the prophetic word that you delivered to us through the prophet Daniel. Lord, we ask you to strengthen us with it. In Jesus' name, amen. So the next time somebody tells you that, well, the Bible is just an ancient book and it's kind of written by a bunch of dudes, see if they can figure that one out. Amen?